Welcome to the Life Change Podcast. Panhandle Weight Loss Center is a unique surgical practice focused on changing lives. Our approach moves away from the singular goal of weight loss and encompasses one of overall health and wellness. This podcast explores a variety of topics inside the realm of health and wellness, including nutrition, fitness, lifestyle issues, and even surgery. The goal of this program is to inspire listeners to take a critical review of your life as we guide you towards a paradigm that translates to life change. Okay, guys, today with us in our studio slash really messy office is Kristen Wiley. Uh, Kristen works with us quite a bit on the, um, I would say, the mental side of trying to get healthy, which I, if anybody's talked to me, I think is one of the biggest elements of this whole uh, process. So this is Kristen Wiley, and she's going to lead us through this podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Kristen, just tell us um, a little bit about your background, just from a, in a professional standpoint. You don't have to go into, like, what size diapers you, you know, wore. my whole life story. Well, I mean, we have time. Right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I graduated from WT with my master's in psychology, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it at the time. I knew I wanted to go into private practice and, and you know, work in the clinical area. But when I met my supervisor at the time, he did bariatrics and he had been exposed to that through Texas Tech so um, it's a little unique for counselors usually counselors are only doing counseling um, not doing assessments and only focusing on like mental health diagnoses so I kind of liked that spin on it because I've always just had a passion for fitness and health in general just in my personal life so when I realized you could combine the two and use a lot of the research based psychology principles for physical health um it kind of felt like a match made in heaven for me so he trained me and all the bariatrics and then when he took a new job i took over okay well so that's where you started and just kind of give us insight to your your practice or your thoughts from where you were to where you are now oh man in the beginning to now I would say. I know, that's a, I know that's a lot of years to cover, but in a nutshell. <laughs> I'm not that old. Um, you know, learning in the beginning clinical practice is just, especially in psychology, there's no like, there's no rule book. So you're kind of figuring out like, okay, what assessments work best and and, and what helps these people the most and what, what kind of treatment techniques are most helpful. And so it's a, a lot of just learning and learning to conceptualize each patient and what they need and what kind of information is gonna benefit them. So from then to now, I feel like I've come so far. I think back then I relied heavily on like, oh, this is what the assessment says, so this is all I know. But now um, it's more kind of making a plan for those patients, not just saying, hey, you're cleared for surgery or you're not cleared for surgery. It's, yeah, you can have surgery, but also let's look at all of these issues or these behaviors or these habits that you have that are gonna interfere with your success and figure out how we can fix them. Okay, well, you, you went down this rabbit trail. Like what's number one um, challenge, issue, approach to health and wellness that, that people struggle with from from your standpoint oh I could list so many I would say one of the biggest misconceptions is people think like um I'll do those things when I feel better 
Yeah. Like when I when I lose weight, I'll have more energy and then I'll start going for walks. Or when I lose weight, I'll have more energy to think about food and so then I'll start eating healthy. And they have it really completely backwards of like, you don't have to wait. Motivation may not ever just magically show up. You actually have to start doing those things and then that action leads to more energy and it leads to more action. But a lot of patients seem to be in this like, oh, I gotta wait. I gotta wait until I reach a healthy BMI before I can play with my kids at the playground. Yeah. Or I gotta wait until uh, I get this much weight off before I can start exercising. And sometimes people do definitely have some limitations, but I think a lot of times it's actually their mindset. Yeah, and I, I think this is where the mental part and the metabolic part kind of mesh. Um, if you, I mean, to me, a lot of, you know, weight issues come when you're, when you're just baseline metabolics get off, uh, basically, and we're going to get real geeky for a second, but at the mitochondrial level, level, just how your body produces energy, mm-hmm. right? We're consuming energy, uh, but that, that, you know, in the form of food and, you know, what people want to say, uh, calories, so we're, we're consuming energy, but that just because you consume it doesn't mean you use it. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean your body converts that cellular bit of nutrition into functional energy. Mm-hmm. So at the at the metabolic level, they've it, it, and you know there's I, I'm talking out of opinion right now, but this is based off of a lot of you know input I've I've read and, and heard. Um, but at the mitochondrial level, your body just can't take the building blocks and produce energy. So like you're saying, a lot of times the fix for the energy issue is not weight loss, right? It's, it's saying, hey, I need to incorporate these, these new habits to fix my energy level. Uh, and then it, then it kind of snowballs from there. But I think you know, a, big, a big misconception, which is like you're saying, is like, oh, when I lose the weight, I'll feel better. But that's not necessarily true if you don't fix the, the metabolic uh, component. And then, you know, that, that flows into the mental aspect because you don't feel like doing it. Right. Right. If you have no energy, you do, you do not feel like, you know, working out or making healthy choices or, you know, we could kind of go down a, a laundry list of, of things. Um, kind of in your opinion, how do those, those mesh? Like that mental slash metabolic, physical? Well, a lot of it, you know, comes down to shame, actually. Like people feel like they failed or like... You know, they can't do what other people do. And so then, yeah, having those metabolic issues then leads to you kind of going into a depression and just having a really negative viewpoint of yourself and low self-worth. And that makes it harder to accomplish hard things. And so it's kind of like this vicious cycle of, you know, I don't have energy. I can't do hard things. And not only just the way your body processes energy, but these people that have tried you know, all these fad diets for most of their life that are basically set up to make you fail. So they are convinced that they are a failure and they can't do it. Yeah. And on on our side of the house, you know, when you, when you talk to somebody that, uh, I guess people aren't healthy for lack of effort. I mean, they've, they've gone through programs, they've gone through, and then, you know, at some point you just don't see the results or you, you think you've, you know, you've gotten off the, the wagon, so to speak, and in a certain area. So they kind of lose motivation to continue down that pathway. Um, so, you know, addressing that, hey, you didn't, 
that that diet wasn't going to work, right? So, you know, how do you help people kind of see past that? That's not a failure. It's it, you know, and a lot of times it wasn't even set up for success. Right. I think I actually you tell know. them like you didn't fail that diet, failed you. Like it yeah. was made to fail you. Yeah. Um, and. I think a lot of people, the second they sit down on my couch, they want to justify like, I'm not lazy, you know? And I, I, uh, I do, I don't eat a lot. I don't just sit on the couch and eat all day. And it's like, I know you don't, um, you don't have to justify your weight to me. There's a lot of different biological components that go into our weight, genetic components, behavioral, and they all kind of mix together, but they all want to tell me how they're not lazy. <laughs> and they, you know, I tell them, you guys are professionals at dieting. You probably know more about dieting than most of us because you have tried probably more diets than most of us who haven't struggled with our weight have ever attempted in our lifetime. So it's not for lack of effort. It's not even for lack of knowledge. Sometimes people have a lot of knowledge on nutrition and what they should be doing, but when it doesn't work for them, that shame kicks in, they give up and they kind of mm -hmm. go back to this other extreme um, of eating whatever they want. They have a hard time falling in that gray area of I can maybe do things in moderation. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, I think we're kind of, we're, we're saying the, the, it's all leading back to the same, same point. If you don't fix the energy problem first, no matter where you're doing, it's not going to work. Right. Um, and to me that that's nutrition. It's, you know, and the, then, once you fix that metabolic problem, which people are listening, the reason most 98% of commercialized diets fail is they're, it's all based around calories. It's all based around, you know, what they can sell you or, you know, what, what you can take supplement wise. But ultimately, if what is going on doesn't fix the root cause, then, you know, you're most likely not going to have success. And right. um, what are, let's kind of break this down into pre-op and post-op because you you see kind of a spectrum of of mm -hmm. our patients um on the pre-op side you know uh outside of the like the standardized i I, I'm, I don't know my terms here but like the like the the the, the clearance exam right uh outside of that what you know what do you get into what do you offer from that that pre-op or do people even take advantage of that yeah, so pre-op appointments, they're kind of different for everyone, and it's based on who the patient is, what they've been through. Sometimes it's heavily focused on mental health. Sometimes it's a lot of talk about kind of that diet cycle and what leads to that diet cycle. Sometimes we have to talk about alcohol use and certain behaviors that are going to be problematic. So when I see that person before pre-op, um, you know, they're, they're taking assessments that kind of show their mental health overall, but also their coping styles, kind of what type of patient they are, if they're likely to be non-compliant, um, things like that. And then, but aside from that, I do a diagnostic interview where I'm just asking them so many questions, going all the way back to their childhood, um, what their current life is like, what their support system looks like. And then through that interview, if I if I hear anything that I feel like, oh, it's gonna make things a little a little bit more difficult, let's talk about what that looks like and maybe different things that you could do to just make the process more smooth, the adjustment process, whether that's attending counseling or support groups or um, going and talking to your doctor about medication. You know, it's kind of like making a game plan for each patient individualized what's going to make you most likely to succeed. Okay. And um, you kind of you kind of brought one thing there. So in, in, on our you know, non-surgical and even in our patients that uh, have surgery, we, uh, 
the, the lifestyle that we kind of teach and try to follow and I try to follow is called the primal lifestyle. And it's got four pillars. Nutrition is the biggest element, uh, exercise, uh, being the second and then stress management and sleep. Um, stress management is drastically devalued in health and wellness. Um, and I mean, I saw it in my own life. I see it in people around me. I mean, I see people clean their diet up. I see people exercise and then they work a high stress job and they sleep like, you know, bad. I was going to say a bad word, but, <laughs> um, but they, they don't take care. And to me, those are the four foundations. If you're not addressing all four of them, you can't overcome it with one of them. You know what I'm saying? You can't, right. you can't outsleep your stress problem. You can't outwork, work out your stress problem. You can't outsleep your lack of nutritional like so to me stress is is very important and you kind of mentioned coping mechanisms in that Mm pre-op um what are the things you see there like um it's funny because i always talk about stress is 100 percent perceived so if you talk to a high school freshman they're super stressed out you know if you talk to a doctor life is stressful their job is stressful if you talk to someone that works at the grocery store work can be stressful so it's like there's not this arbitrary like goal, this limit of like, okay, if I can live my life this way, I won't be stressed. It's actually a perception. It's how you perceive things in your life and how you look at them. And so a lot of people, I think, they, they fail to try to reduce stress because they think it's things they don't have an option to reduce. I can't quit my job or I can't see less patients or you know, I can't change my hours and, but you can change your perception and you can change the way you view other things in life that ultimately then reduce stress. And so people are just chronically living a life of stress to the point that it feels normal. They don't even know they're stressed. And sometimes when I tell them, like, you know, you, you should be able to fall asleep at night without having like white noise on or a TV on or your thoughts racing. Like that's not, that's not actually normal or healthy. Well, I've been that way, you know, in my whole adult life, it's fine. It's like, and they don't even realize they are stressed until we start to lower those stress levels and kind of work through a lot of those things. And then they're like, oh, wow. Like, how did I, how did I go so long living at that? Kind of like you're living in fight or flight mode, like your body thinks you're in danger every day, basically. Exactly. That's, I mean, what you just said, I feel like sums up the majority of, you know, kind of health and wellness problems in america yeah for sure uh, that production of food nutrition but if you i don't think you can address any of that stuff until you address this um i sleep with white noise i'm pretty low Why stress do you need white noise to drown out my kids okay in the, in the background as long as you're not using okay. it to drown out your thoughts no 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 <laughs> i you know that's a, a few i mean I'll, I'll throw out kind of things i do um you can comment on your on your end that, i mean before like going to bed um you know, I, before I even get into the, like the nighttime process, I try to, to either write down or things that I'm thinking about that I bring home. I try not to bring work home, but you know, it's, it happens. And if I have those things in my mind, like I'm either going to talk to my wife about it or write it down. I need to verbalize it. I need to put it on paper. If it's not something you want to you know, conversate with, uh, about, um, I kind of have this, you know, kind of ritualized nighttime routine, uh, that's, kind of leads me to to the bed right i nothing about bed uh i guess i'm not i'm not taking uh tv to my bedroom i'm not taking any other form of uh you know external entertainment 
uh, you know, try to use the bed for, for specific things. And then once I'm there, uh, I mean, it try to limit the, the screen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, TVs, iPhones, uh, you know, uh, any of that stimulation, you know, that that's not going to help your stress level right. when, when you're, uh, going to, going to sleep. I used to, and I've gotten away from it, but I, it was really beneficial, but I just had a foam roller. I would just, you know, work on a muscle that, I used that, to love yeah. foam rolling. <laughs> yeah. Just find that muscle. It's not even hurting, but you're like that one is bothering yeah. me. So I'm going to just work on that. And a lot of research behind like a deep tissue right before bed mm-hmm. and when it, like deep sleep versus, you know, all the other elements of sleep, but finding that routine. Uh, but I can say from a sleep hygiene, stress management point, you should not have a TV right, uh, right. going. And I took the one, it was a pretty cool piece of research, but they took people and put them in a pitch dark room, let them go to sleep. And they would just actually shine one pinpoint light on their heel. Right. And it was amazing just watching their sleep cycles, how much it disturbed people. Huh. Just having one pinpoint light on their heel, like your body senses. That's funny. Not just your eyelids, but your entire body can sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so the people, people that fall asleep with lights on and TVs on and, things of this nature. Um, I mean, that is one area of improvement. I, you know, I suggest everybody. Oh, for sure. Sleep hygiene is something we have to work on a lot with people because that's something you can control. That's, you know, easy habits to focus on where's the problem and what can I change? Are you getting in bed too early? Are you getting in bed too late? The lights. It's funny because we live on a, a golf course and right now, people put up Christmas lights and oh, they man. leave them on all night long. They don't turn off and my husband cannot stand it because those all those Christmas lights are shining into our room the whole night. It causes him so much stress through the whole season. So, gotta, so now it makes the, good uh, sense. Well, yeah, it does. And so <laughs> we, we prepare for that uh, with the, the, what are they called? The eye mask? The, yeah. Uh, and so, so our Christmas lights were installed yesterday and I'm laying in bed and I, you know, I just asked my wife, I was like, Hey, what time does the timer shut those things off? And she's like, I think they set it for midnight. And I was like, I'll be adjusting that in the morning. Oh, like, yeah. I, I can't, These I can't take that. These people keep on yeah. all night and day. And yeah. so, yeah, just the screens and the TV and the phones. And, and then usually what we're doing on our phone is awful for stress levels. Oh, also man. social media, just mindless scrolling. And so, a lot of those habits are things that when people are motivated to make changes, they can, we work through making them and they notice a huge difference in how they feel. One big thing I do probably once a month is I scramble all my apps on my phone. So I, like I'll move Instagram to a different page or move things I commonly check. I just move them around because what it does is when you go to find it and you can't find it, you think, I shouldn't be doing this. Uh-huh. Yeah, we call it yeah. habit reversal training. Yeah. And so, so it's like disrupting that process. Yeah, when that app is in the same spot, it's mindless. Oh, like sure. swipe, swipe, click. And so when you have to go swipe, 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 you're like, oh, I remember really why I did this. this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember why I did this. Uh, well, good. Um, so let's move to the, to the, the post-operative setting. Like, you know, I've had surgery, um, you know, I'm, what, what are the, some of the common things that people experience that, that you see in that, you know, that first six months? So people who, you know, either choose to come back and see me or continue coming to counseling because it's required. I always tell them, like, you probably won't call, be calling me in the first month after surgery. It'll be within the first year. So I always call that first 12 months kind of the honeymoon period. You know, unless someone's having you know medical complications for the most part they're losing weight they're super excited about it 
so it feels really rewarding to them and once they hit that maintenance phase or they hit a point that their weight starts to slow down that's when they start to struggle and they kind of start to fall back into that yo-yo diet mindset of like man this isn't working for me anymore or I guess this is as far as I'm gonna get so I'm just gonna give up and go back to kind of eating what I want and so it's really when people transition from weight loss to weight maintenance that they really benefit from coming back and seeing me just working through those irrational thoughts and that mindset that they've lived with for so long um and some people do come throughout the entire process because just different things that i think some people are shocked by how emotional it is to go through that adjustment kind of a lot of them feel like they're grieving the loss of food like this thing that's been so important to them for so long they're having to kind of break up with it and use it for nutrition and fuel versus what sounds good or tastes good yeah it's a big deal uh, i mean i i feel like almost everybody kind of goes through that 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 transition um man you said something in there i was my brain went and I, then it went blank i'm sorry the maintenance <laughs> uh, you know maybe transitioning from weight loss to weight maintenance yeah um It'll come back to me. Uh, so you got that, that uh, oh, it's part of the emotional. Uh, you mentioned relationships in there. So that's a big question uh, that I hear a lot. Like, oh, I've read this website. I've, I've talked to this person, and it did this in their relationship. Um, or even, like, substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Like, um, can you kind of just give us some things that, that you see? Is it common? Uh, is it? like an adjustment period kind of what are your so I mean obviously it depends on the type of friendship or relationship or marriage um but it it definitely leads to changes I think people are fearful sometimes they'll ask me like is it true that everyone that has surgery gets divorced I'm like no that's not true but what I do see is that it obviously as you lose weight you change usually for the better people feel better they feel more confident they feel better about themselves their self-esteem improves and when that happens sometimes they start to set boundaries in relationships that they never felt like they could set before whether that's leaving an unhealthy marriage because now they they feel they believe in themselves and they know like i shouldn't let someone treat me this way or setting boundaries in unhealthy friendships that you know it's interesting to see how how much other people care about what you're eating and how much you're eating and and that can create some interesting dynamics but i do think as people lose weight and they improve their confidence um sometimes they make changes to relationships that needed to be made way long ago hmm. that's good that's interesting you know that's the part that i don't think on our side we get to see you know yeah. as much um and like any any points of advice like say somebody's listening to this and like they're thinking about surgery um you know it's all those little little fears kind of kind of creep in there like what's what what element of my life is this going to change they, they understand there's a lifestyle change coming um but you know how, what are the tentacles of that lifestyle change um so i don't i don't know i don't know if i have a specific question but just do you have any kind of insight into if somebody's thinking about surgery and how to prepare for what changes are coming and how it may affect them? Um, I think just knowing that 
it it changes a lot more than the weight on the scale. So yeah. it changes relationships, it changes social dynamics, um, it changes the things you enjoy doing, which maybe changes the people you enjoy hanging out with. Sometimes it changes the way people treat you and sometimes that's a positive experience and for some people it's not positive and they feel kind of offended that you know man now that I've lost 200 pounds this person treats me better but I had value back then just like I do now so you know I think it really changes every aspect of your life I can't even narrow it down to like a handful and and I always try to remind people that it will not fix problems in your life and that's a big a big thing like yeah it can fi- it can improve your health it won't fix your marriage it won't fix your friendships it won't make your job better will you physically feel better well gosh i hope so you know if you're losing 100 pounds or more you should physically feel better but i think when people feel better physically but mentally they don't sometimes that's a huge disappointment for them yeah man good stuff um you know one thing i used to struggle with and um I got past it, and I yeah you know, I feel like everybody struggles with this. Is the is almost this kind of guilt complex that comes with uh, maybe a cheat meal or uh, you know a bad vacation uh, where you you kind of get away from your nutritional standards. And I went I went through a period where I was really strict on diet and nutrition, and and I ran with that. But then you know you got I got three kids there's vacations. Um, and so, you know, when, when I think the common person kind of comes into that, they're like, Oh, I was doing good. I had this weekend. I screwed it up, you know, this guilt, uh, and then they don't see that pathway forward. So, you know, what I, what I, what I do and what I've tried to do is like, you know, compartmentalize that. Like, yeah, I mean, I had a bad meal, but I'm going to wake up tomorrow and, and, not continue that yeah that pattern um but i don't know if everybody really you know grasps that or understands that or can get past it right per se well and it's because they don't trust themselves so you know for people who have struggled with their weight their whole life they feel like oh i don't trust myself around food i will lose control and so to them eating a bad meal is them losing control and they see it as this downward spiral not one meal because of their history with dieting and their weight and i don't even use the word bad food yeah. i'm like we try to use the terms nutritious versus unnutritious because at the end of the day food is food yeah nutritious food is gonna serve your body a whole lot better but can you eat a, a small portion of something that is not nutritious and not gain 50 pounds absolutely so if once a month, you know, your child wants ice cream and you go to Brahms and get an ice cream cone, is that going to be life altering? Not at all. But five days in a row of it. Right. Yeah. Right. And so sometimes it's actually teaching them um, that they can do that and not lose control. So it's almost like an exposure therapy. So they've developed this anxiety of like, I have to avoid this food because if I don't, this will happen. So they live in this severe restrictive mindset which then just makes us want it more. And then when we do have it, well, I'm going to eat as much as I can because this is the last time I'm going to do this. And so it kind of leads to that binge cycle. So by allowing people to have certain foods in normal portions, in moderation, teaching them that they can do that and how to do that long term is actually the key to maintenance. Awesome. So 
kind of stepping outside of the kind of the surgical realm um, and like maybe even looking at to the, the, the rest of your practice, you know, because you don't, you don't just do, do weight loss and health and wellness. Um, how much do you think, and it, it's interesting to see your answer, how much do you think nutrition, food selection plays into mental well-being? Oh, I think a huge, huge portion of it. And um, gosh, I would, I would say like, if I could get, you know, all of my patients to follow a nutritious diet, move their body in some fashion, we would use way less antidepressants. But people don't want to do that. You know, bariatric patients want to do that. Generally, they are like, okay, teach me how I want to do this. But when it comes to kind of my other patients who weren't there for weight loss, they would much rather take an antidepressant than have to exercise or eat nutritious food. So, and it's funny because in mental health, like it is frowned upon for us to push nutrition. Like ethically, hmm. they think like, no, that's not your place to do that. But I just have such a strong sense of just holistic health that we cannot feel better mentally if we don't take care of ourselves physically. So I'm never gonna shame my patients into exercising and eating healthy, but I definitely educate them and then they can take that education and do what they want with it. I tell them, you know, exercise is the most underutilized antidepressant we have. Yeah, it takes more effort to exercise than take a pill, but in the long run, it pays off a whole lot more. So give me, give me more insight into that, you know, societal, you know, from, from your like professional society saying that you can't, you know, really address that with patients. I mean, to me, that's, it's the root cause. I right. mean, it's like, Hey, you're a diabetic. Um, you know, you don't really need to change the way you eat. You just need to take this insulin. I mean, there's doctors what, that do that though. That's correct. It's mind, it's mind blowing <laughs> to me. Oh uh, man. Right. That's, so they, do they think like if, if you bring that up, I mean, cause there's so many elements that go into to what we eat. I mean, finances, family, um, culture. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into your diet or your, your, what you eat. Um, are they saying, Hey, don't, don't go down that trail because it could be offensive or yeah, you maybe. So I think our ethics are so so restrictive you know we don't we can't give advice we can educate but we cannot tell you what to do um counseling like the overall idea of counseling is helping people get to where they're going by kind of asking the right questions and helping them reflect on their own thoughts and feelings without telling them our opinion what we think would be best hmm. so it's you know, there's kind of a new development in the mental health field that a lot of counselors are now doing more what we call coaching. Yeah, that's um, what I was about to get to. Yeah, because we do have we have a lot of knowledge to share. And sometimes we feel restricted in that insurance doesn't want us to do certain things. They want us to only follow certain treatment plans. And um, so a lot of counselors kind of they pull away from insurance and, and they do more of a coaching technique than counseling. I, I personally think the future of medicine, if we want to improve it, is going to be through coaching, mental coaching, health coaching. Uh, but you, just, you know, I, uh, we were we were talking before we started the podcast about, you know, how much information can I get to you in a fifteen minute insurance paid visit? You know, it's it's not much. Yeah. You know, it's uh, 
And you know, that was one of our biggest motivators behind this podcast was like, hey, there's a lot more information um, that as an MD, as a guy with an MD behind my name and me working for that insurance payment and knowing the time allotments and all that, uh, there's just more that's needed. And to me, that's where kind of the like health coach is going to fit in coaching in any general, like any, any element, right. For, to me, in my opinion, like for an endocrinologist to run a diabetic clinic without any kind of coaching of diet seems to be like asinine, but, right. uh, but on the last podcast, uh, a buddy of mine said that, you know, if as a doctor you've read, as, as a patient, if you've read one book about health and wellness, you've read more than probably 90% of doctors. That's, that's, that's alarming. <laughs> that's pretty, it's pretty sobering, though. To, and it's, it's what we're trained to do, right? I'm, you know, like I'm trained to, to do surgery or I'm trained to treat hypertension or I'm trained to fix hearts. Right. Like, I don't think many of us, first of all, you're never taught it in medical school and then like, do you have time? Is there is there a desire, you know, once you get into practice and start a family to um, really change that course? I, I did. I, I, I felt like that it's, it's for what I do. It's utmost importance to know way more about nutrition and and, you know, mental health and just overall lifestyle management. Um, interesting. Well, tell us about you. What's your what's your health journey? Oh, man. I mean, I've never uh, struggled with my weight. You know, a lot of patients will ask me that, like, did you have surgery? Have you ever been obese? And I'm like, no, you know, I probably went through the the freshman 15 and that's about in pregnancies. And and then I had to work to lose that. But I've just always had a passion for fitness and nutrition. And um, I don't I guess like a healthy obsession. I used to run marathons and do triathlons and it would kind of become this, um, how do I fuel my body? How do I get faster? How do I get stronger? And so it was never for weight loss for me, um, more so just trying to achieve goals and things that I enjoy doing. Now that I have children, I definitely don't run marathons anymore. Uh, I don't have time for the training and things like that, but I still um, really enjoy just nutrition and fitness overall. What's your what's your nutritional approach? Do you ascribe to any specific preaching or? Um, I mean, personally, and things that you know, obviously, I can't tell patients to do, but I I really benefited from learning like macronutrients and kind of learning the combination of macronutrients, um, and not in a way that I count or weigh my food every day because I absolutely don't do that. But it gives you kind of just like a perspective of like, okay, these are the things I need to eat to get in my protein. And then I would kind of get away from tracking, but I kind of generally eat the same foods. I eat a pretty high protein diet. I try to eat mostly whole foods, but you know, every once in a while I also go out and enjoy pizza and drinks just like everyone else. What's your favorite pizza? Oh, probably 575. That's a pretty common answer. Yeah. Okay. In Amarillo. It's probably the most popular. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, that question of patients, like, well, have you struggled? And I have, I've, you know, I've, I've gotten overweight and, you know, probably started developing sleep apnea and blood pressure was up. And that's what led me to my nutritional awakening. Cause I was still working out. I'm like, it's not a, it's not, it's not a, it's not a workout. Can't work out yeah. your diet. Yeah. Huh? I can't outwork out my really <laughs> bad diet. diet. Uh, I used to be like a sandwich King, like, oh man, like sandwiches three times a day. That was my life. Well, if you make them right, they can have balance. I don't know. That's a, that's a lot of bread, man. That's uh, <laughs> Depends what bread you're yeah, using, I guess. Um, so, you know, the, the getting 
you know, getting the nutritional element right uh, was probably the biggest challenge in my life. And that's the reason I'm passionate about talking about it is, you know, you, if you do the like metabolic, I mean, I don't, I don't want to throw anybody on the bus, but like metabolic research or, you know, Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, I don't think they're truly teaching you the, the, the ultimate goal. No, they're teaching right. you like, okay, I have to follow this diet and I have to pay for this product. And once I quit paying for it, I don't really know what to do. Yeah. And so we, our approach is more to teach you the science behind uh, what the overall goal of a nutrition plan is. Um, restoring that metabolic health, getting that energy back, you know, before, even before you see those scale goals, you know, uh, achieved, you've got to fix energy production. Yeah. Uh, I think knowing your BMR, like your personal BMR and knowing like your, your daily energy expenditure is important. And sometimes when I ask patients like, Hey, did you get those numbers? And they're like, Oh, I don't, I just put that in a drawer and never looked at it again. Yeah. I'm like, those are your magic numbers. Like for you personally, not some yeah. diet on the internet that says to eat 1200 calories a day. Like that is your body. Yeah. And so I really, I enjoy educating them on how to use that and kind of telling them like, this is why you, you need this much food and this much protein. Okay. So if somebody wanted to make an appointment with you, is it, do they have to have a referral? Can they call you no. straight? Nope. How do they Anyone get a hold of you? can call. They just call our office. Um, through our phone number or we have through our website. Um, well, tell them the phone number since. So the phone uh, number is 806-418-2283. That goes to our front office and Caroline is fantastic. She will answer all your questions and get you scheduled. Um, we generally, it does take a while to get in for new patients, but we do our best to get around to everyone. Okay, and uh, your website since uh, my website three down on the Google <laughs> yeah. search. We've had problems with our websites, but the current one is bbhsclinic.com, and that should take you to our current website with all of our current information. Okay, well, um, wrap it up. Do you have any like, you know, you see our patients, but do you have any questions about what we do on this side? Are we doing things right? Are we doing things wrong? No, I feel I like wish I you guys get, would do X, Y, Z. I get really good feedback. Um, patients always feel very well cared for. Not just, obviously, they know you're here to do surgery, but I do, I get a lot of feedback from people who feel really impressed by the, the pre and post-op care that you guys offer and just that they have access to you guys because that's why I tell them everything is going to work at first. Two years down the line, you need to be able to call your doctor if you're having problems or if you have questions and, and everyone always has really good feedback. You just, you just spurred another question. I was going to wrap it up, but, uh, <laughs> um, you, you know, sometimes we'll see patients two or three years out and, you know, they'll reveal they've been struggling for a year or two years with either maintenance or weight regain. And, you know, we try to create an environment where, Hey, we, 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 we care about you. We care about your results, your success. So come back if you need us. But, you know, do they talk to you about maybe this shame? Oh, yeah. Uh, They're like, so ashamed. They it's kind of like they want you guys to be proud of them. You yeah. know, they don't want to come to a weigh-in and have gained weight. Or they don't even want to come to a weigh-in and have not lost weight. And so it's interesting because in that pre-op assessment, I get to see their coping styles and in Part of those coping styles show what type of people do that you know they're very avoidant um like they're only going to come around when they're doing awesome and they're more likely to avoid you when they're struggling because they want that affirmation from you guys they want you to be proud and so sometimes when i see those skills elevated i'll just kind of 
you know, give them a spiel about how you don't need doc, you don't need them when you're doing awesome. You need them when you're struggling and everyone here is here to support you and help you through it. Yeah. I, I just want people to know that we, we want you back. We don't, you know, don't, don't get, you know, off in the bushes and, you know, try to do the same, go it alone. Uh, we're here. We, we do not judge people. I, in my opinion, health and wellness is a lifelong journey. It's, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just as if training for marathons, since you've trained for marathons, <laughs> sometimes you have to change your training style based off your, how your body adapts. Right. Right. So, you know, if you don't have endurance, you got to build that. If your endurance is not the issue, but you want to get faster, you got to train differently. And I've always wanted to coin a term, uh, metabolic confusion, you know, the uh, Horton, I forget the guy, P90X guy, he has uh, oh, muscle yeah, confusion. Tony Horton. Yeah, yeah, he has muscle confusion. <laughs> but I think just as important is is metabolic confusion. Uh, so if, if you got something you're doing, it's not working, come come in, like, let's, let's confuse it. Let's, let's, let's go a different direction, your your body adapts, and you got to you got to move and and, and dance with it. So we, we don't want people thinking, hey, this stopped working, I, I must have failed. Yeah, and I right. tell them the only way to fail is to give up. Yeah, That's the only thing that's gonna lead to failure. So, you know, if you hit a plateau or what you're doing stops working, like your decision at that point determines your success. Are you gonna give up? Or are you gonna seek support and figure out, okay, what's the next step? What do I need to do next? And um, that is, 100% mental and, and emotional how they respond at that point. Perfect. All right. Last question. What's your favorite activity in the panhandle with and without kids? Oh, I would have to say golfing. Golfing. We play a lot of golf. We enjoy it. We, we picked that up during COVID. I'd never golfed in my life and it was something you could continue doing through 2020 when everything else shut down. We just love being outside and being active. And so um, we picked up golfing and now we all play. My six year old is getting pretty good. He shot a 60 last week on a nine hole round. And I was impressed with that for a six year old. So I, I usually measure my golf game and how many balls I lost. <laughs> so I'm probably still to 60. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, good. No, thank you. For, thank you for coming in. Uh, I wish we could visit with you, you know, way more often. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. And if you, if you guys, you know, like what we're doing with the podcast, leave comments, uh, on Facebook. If you have any specific questions you want us to answer, um, you know, leave those, leave those there so we can find them. Uh, but, uh, Kristen, thank you once again. Yeah, thanks.